Today's episode is brought to you by Path 11 TV, inspiring entertainment for the spiritually curious. With a Path 11 TV membership, you get instant access to over 100 hours of exclusive video content that explores consciousness, healing, and life after death. Also with the Path 11 TV membership, you can attend our monthly events and live streams free. In the past few months, we've already had medium readings with Drew Callie and Suzanne Northrup, along with a numerology session with Nicene Siegel and Chinese face readings with Marla Goldberg. Join us for our next event, July 21st, for another gallery reading, this time with medium Mark Schmidt. You can start your Path 11 TV membership for just $9.99 a month or get two months free by getting an annual membership. Podcast listeners can save even more by using coupon code PODCAST30. This will take 30% off, making your first year only $70. That's only 20 cents a day. Don't hesitate because this offer is only good for a limited time. All membership plans have a seven-day free trial. So start streaming with your membership to Path 11 TV today by visiting path11tv.com and start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with our exclusive library of inspiring entertainment. Now let's get to today's show. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Path 11 podcast today. I'm very excited about our topic. We are going to talk about emotional repatterning. My guest today is Elisa Samet, ND. She's a well-known practitioner who has appeared on the Dr. Oz show to promote homeopathy and naturopathic healing. She has an international practice based in Montreal, specializing in homeopathy, emotional wellness, nutrition, and lifestyle optimization. So when emotional issues are an obstacle to healing, Dr. Samet uses the emotional repatterning techniques presented in her book, which is um, one of the books that I read here and we're going to talk about today. And it's a technique that can help you uncover and rebalance the deep subconscious beliefs that often underlie your unhappiness or if you are stuck, or if you are in any mental or physical pain. So I have um, experienced probably different types of emotional repatterning that we'll t- I'll talk with Lisa about in different ways that it also gets to the subconscious. So I'm really curious for her to teach you guys and to, for you guys to understand a little bit in the way in which she works. So Lisa, welcome to the Path Loving Podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yes. So if you don't mind, let me grab my notes here. Can we start with really the life-changing thing that happened with your son? Um, I believe Benjamin was 10 year old at the time. Yes. And that seemed to be a pretty transformational point in your life, which also brought you to a greater understanding of, you know, why this happened. And really, as I was reading through your book, I could see your own spiritual progression of where that kind of brought you. So um, maybe we can begin a little bit with Benjamin's story. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, Well, it's kind of the nightmare that every parent dreads. Uh, We have three kids and uh, both my husband and I are naturopathic doctors. So we raised our kids with, you know, the best (laughs) Uh, organic this and, uh, you know, like no, you know, food coloring and sugar. And, you know, we gave them homeopathic medicine and natural medicine when they were sick. And, you know, we did everything in quotes, right. And um, I don't know, I guess I didn't realize it, but I had this kind of illusion of, you know, this like bubble that we had created for our kids of health and whatever. And then, you know, the worst possible thing happened Uh, at 10 years old. My youngest, Benjamin, was diagnosed with leukemia. And that was like uh, completely shocking. I mean, not that any parent wouldn't be shocked, but I think that there was an extra layer on it for me anyway, just thinking like, how could this have happened to us? You know, we have health at the forefront of every decision we ever made. 
just based on our profession. <laughs> and it was like, wow, that was really uh, like a, a shocking blow. And uh, I mean, I'll just uh, tell you more about the story, but, you know, cut to the chase because I hate suspense personally. <laughs> you know, Benjamin is now fine. He's going to be 17 in a few months. So, you know, it all worked out. But it was two years of absolute hell, uh, mostly because it was 150 something chemo treatments in a two year period. And that was like an astonishing number. I mean, bags and bags of yellow and orange and red chemo dripping into his veins that were delivered with nurses in a hazmat suit who didn't want to get like one drop of it on them. And, you know, it was so astonishing that the guy had never had a prescription medication ever. And, you know, we avoided all antibiotics and cough syrups and whatever. And here he was getting bags and bags of chemo. And he was so, so sick. I mean, incredible. He got like every side effect and he got every, you know, whatever reaction to the chemo, I think. And it was hell, let's just say. So, you know, what's the point of that? So in, in kind of my own personal story, I think it was very transformative to live through, you know, experience that was so much suffering. You know, I think that as a parent, you know, you, you would much rather undergo all of that your own self because you just think I can manage it. If it was me, it would, it would be horrible, but I'd get through it. And just like watching your son go through it and just having, you know, nothing really to offer um, and being complicit in it. You know, we would drag him into the car and, you know, bring him to the hospital for it. And he was not, he did not go through it happily. Let's just say, you know, he was he was at like the worst age, you know, some kids get leukemia at three years old and they don't know any better. You know, it's not fun, but they don't know the world should be different. And other kids get it at, you know, let's say 20. And then they have a little bit more of the maturity to kind of go through it. He was just at that age that it was hell for him on an emotional level too. But all of it was something that just, you know, ripped me up over a two year period. And I think when we have those big traumas in our life, Nobody would ever wish for that. Nobody would ever seek any of that out. But, you know, there is often some benefit that comes at the end, you know, just having to go through that and find the resources inside yourself to cope with the situation. And, of course, the possibility that he could die, which is, you know, right in your face pretty much every day. Uh, it really does something to you. And, and I think that, uh you know, at the end of it, there were definitely personal benefits that I emerged from the experience with. What one was that I became somebody who was much more in their heart. Um, you know, I mean, I always considered myself to be a caring, a giving, a warm person, but I think that I just felt everything much more deeply in, in a good way. And I think the other thing that came out of it for me was there's a kind of wisdom that came with that. I'm not even sure how to explain it, but I think it was important in me being able to even write this book. I had no aspirations to be an author or to write a book at any point, but I felt that I was much more present with my patients in a way that allowed me to perceive, let's say, certain obstacles or struggles that they were having and kind of get to the right, to the heart of the matter. Uh, and that kind of intuitiveness was a real asset to my practice for sure. But I think it also allowed me to kind of like boil down some insights uh, that, you know, became this book, let's say. Yeah. You know, and then when you explained, you know, with your son getting the diagnosis, that it was just like such a major blow with the fact that, like you said, these kids weren't getting cough syrup, no antibiotics. Did it make you at all lose any faith in what you were practicing and what you studied for all of these years and, you know, going natural? And like you said, I mean, you guys were doing the best of the best, which probably should have prevented any anything from happening, which right. in some regards makes me think hmm, maybe there is a different plan you know what when people are talking about soul contracts and what we sign up for and you know we grow through these hard times that you know it sounds like you guys were doing everything and then for this to happen seems like a little more of divine intervention so did you, you know I, I absolutely had to interpret it that way I mean I was always more of a spiritual person but I think all of this made that so incredible uh because I <laughs> you'll think I'm crazy. I actually felt at certain points in this that they are just so brilliant up there. I mean, how they put it together, it was orchestrated just perfectly in terms of what I perceive that we all, all of the family members needed to 
give us a push in the direction that we needed to evolve and learn and grow. I used to kind of joke to a friend of mine who sees things the same way as me, Ben is, you know, taking one for the team, <laughs> you know, it's like, he's, he's signed up to be the one to go through the shit, you know, in order for the rest of us and maybe also him to have a kind of an opportunity to push past where we were at and to, to evolve into something better. And I mean, it was just the way it came down. It was just like, Oh my God, this is just, just so precisely perfect. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, thankfully I couldn't go back and say, Oh, we should have raised them better. We should have given, you know, less of, of those, you know, shitty snacks and more good, healthy food. Like I, I couldn't really go back and regret anything we had done. So I was saved from that, I guess, but you know, I had to go outside of my bubble in order to process this and make any sense of this because it just didn't lend itself to, you know, making any sense. Like, how could this happen to us? You know, I mean, it certainly makes you realize that no one's entitled to anything good, uh, not necessarily anything bad either, but there's no entitlement here, right? It's just like, we all get exactly what we're going to get here on planet Earth for the exact reasons that we need to get it. And it's all for the betterment of our own, you know, soul growth and our own ability to show up and evolve. Because if life is easy and we're never challenged, at least in my experience, we're never going to learn anything. Right. No, exactly. And, you know, as we talk a little bit more about the emotional repatterning, um, you know, I've asked a lot of guests this question when children tend to get these you know, physical illnesses or diagnosis early on. I'm like, well, gosh, you know, they haven't had a whole lot of years on the planet or life to gunk up their subconscious, you know? So, and the answer that I'm always given is usually that when a child undergoes some sort of either terminal illness, they pass away or, you know, something similar to Benjamin, that it usually is connected to some sort of soul contract. Like you said, he's taking one for the team and that that is happening more for the people around them for the lessons, you know, because it's like, how could he really have manifested on, you know, only 10 years of life, this leukemia, you know, is that really possible? So, yes, I saw it in the same way, pretty much because there's no other way to see it. You know, like the human mind wants to make sense of things, right? It's just the way we are. And I guess there was just really no other way that made any sense except to come back to this explanation, which really does resonate as true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to actually quote you from your book because I really love this. And some of my other teachers have said this a little bit for verbatim. Um, You say in your book, earth is a boarding school. We agree to come here for a period of time, leaving our home in the spiritual realm. There's a curriculum in which we co-create before we arrive, similar to choosing our classes before the semester starts, according to our goals for learning. We select a body to enable us to have that best experience with which to achieve our mission our ultimate goal for our consciousness to evolve. When the learning is complete for this lifetime, we return home from school. You know, and I I mean, so many of my spiritual um, teachers have said that, and one spiritual teacher had said to me, and earth is kindergarten. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. you know, this is like, this is like a little playground for us, you know. (laughs) Which kind of makes sense. I remember speaking to another person when we were talking about um, manifesting and they were saying, like you said, these divine directors like know what they're doing and that there are certain like rules in place. So we can't automatically manifest from our pure thoughts. I mean, immediately. I mean, once I think you understand energy and the rules of consciousness and you are more trained in your thoughts and you're careful in your thoughts to not do harm, you're probably given more access to utilize that. But, you know, thank God this isn't a planet with the majority of, you know, people of manifesting what they're thinking, you know, immediately. So there is like a mechanism in place to keep us you know, little kindergartners under control here. But still, like you said, the goal here is to evolve. Right. And, you know, could you imagine if we all knew that and we were all raised from day one with this total understanding that we're here for a specified amount of time, that it is not just a random and chaotic thing, that there is kind of a a guiding plan where we do have some freedom in there to, you know, make other choices and make make choices. Um, But that 
you know, we wouldn't have to take it all so seriously, you know? I mean, when you're in school, you you show up for your exam, you know, you do well or you fail it or whatever, you, you know, you, it doesn't break you. You come back and you say, okay, I'll study harder for the next one or I'll, you know, read those extra articles and do a little bit more work and do better the next time. And I mean, yes, people can get upset when they fail an exam, but the point being, we are also tense and so stressed and so anxious and so depressed and so invested and so control trying to control and be perfect and all of this which all that goes out the window if you were to truly believe that this is just an adventure you know we're here to have experiences and to get through them and to learn from them and the stakes are not so high and could we all just take a breath and see learning as opportunity instead of shameful and, you know, failing and all the yucky things that so much of us, you know, use to process our life experience. Yeah, exactly. So let's go a little bit into the emotional repatterning. Um, you know, I really like this portion of the book on self-love um, and also the part on suffering. You talk a lot about suffering and how like we can, you know, grow um, from that as well, but that accepting and liking things are two different things, you know, but <laughs> there's a relationship that sometimes people can move into a very strong relationship with their suffering. But let's integrate this a little bit more for the listeners to understand kind of what you do and what does emotional repatterning mean? And then let's go into self-love and accepting and suffering and talk about that. Okay. So, you know, by profession, I'm a naturopathic doctor and have practiced for most of that homeopathy, which I don't know how much you know about it, but it does, it's a holistic treatment that treats people on every level, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And over the years, I came to seek uh, an adjunct therapy or treatment I could use with my patients who were really more stuck in the emotional issues uh, of the past often and kind of trying to move forward in their lives, uh, needing some additional support. And I trained in many, many different techniques, which are now kind of under the umbrella of what I'll call energy psychology, right? It's the kind of moving away from the mainstream psychology into more action-oriented, change-oriented uh, tools and techniques that help people kind of move past their suffering. And what really intrigued me in that study was this idea of the subconscious, and that, you know, the subconscious is a repository often of many old beliefs and negative patterns of thinking that often keep us kind of stuck in perceiving ourselves and the world in a way that isn't, you know, ideal, let's say. And, you know, how to get in there and try to identify what's going on in the subconscious and then do almost a software upgrade on some of those beliefs that might have gotten in there when we were very young and, you know, our mother yelled at us or our father said something or the teacher made a comment or the kids bullied us or, you know, we all went through it, right? And had our little bumps and bruises. And at those times when we're young, we don't really have the context to say like, oh, my father should, you know, work on his anger or my mother's unhappy in her marriage and that's why she's, you know, irritable or blah, 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 right? So we often, when we're five, take those experiences as, you know, things with, that are wrong with us, mm -hmm. right? So, and that's often where the lack of self-love or the lack of, you know, self-worth or those kinds of things kind of get implanted. And unless we work on them at the subconscious level, all these conscious ideas and thoughts about, okay, positive affirmations and, you know, you know, making goals and plans and I'm going to lose 10 pounds and I'm going to do this and all these ideas we have, which are great ideas that we don't follow through with often, you know, we say, well, why I was, you know, really want to do that. It's because, you know, if the conscious mind is thinking all these great things, but then the subconscious mind is, you know, has negative beliefs. It's like one foot on the gas, one foot on the brake, and we end up not going anywhere. Right. So that's kind of like my paradigm. Yeah. And you gave some examples, actually many examples throughout the book of different clients that you had worked with, different scenarios. Um, can you choose one that you really like that you can give the example of how you helped a client kind of repattern their belief systems, their thoughts to uncover what was being hidden in the subconscious so that they could move forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the book, Emotional Repatterning, is 
written uh, with my patient uh, examples and case stories. So, uh, you know, what I've heard from people is that it makes it very relatable, right? It's not a very a technical book. It's a very readable book, right? Because a lot of the book is the stories of my patients. And I think most of us can read those stories and say, oh, yeah, that's me or I've done that or, you know, my sister is just like that or whatever. It's very much like we can see ourselves in in some of these examples. And the book is written kind of, I would say, in two parts. The first part is we explore what I'm calling thinking traps. So I highlight eight thinking traps. These are kind of thinking distortions of the conscious mind, our consciousness, right? How we get ourselves into these stuck places by wrong thinking. And so I highlight them and there are eight chapters, one thinking trap in each chapter. And I go into them in detail. And I think that most of us can relate to most of them, right? I mean, it's in a common human ways of misunderstanding or misperceiving things that cause us a lot of pain and suffering. The second part of the book really is about the change piece of it. So how do we, you know, go into the subconscious mind and make some deep changes? And I assume we'll speak about that uh, in a bit. But what you're asking me is, you know, let's say in these eight chapters on the thinking traps, you know, is there one particular story or one illustration that I can give? And, you know, one pops out as you're asking me. So one of the thinking traps is on acceptance, right? That's, That's one of the chapters. And you know, I think that that's the one I've personally struggled the most with <laughs> because, you know, I have have had a bad habit of thinking, you know, he shouldn't be like that and she shouldn't have said that. And, you know, the situation, you know, that's wrong and it shouldn't have been done that way. And, you know, I'm very much about, you know, well, you know, all these other things outside there are wrong. And, you know, those those perceptions caused me a lot of suffering because when we end up seeing things like that, first of all, it's this constant internal argument in your head. But second of all, we come to quickly realize we cannot change anyone or anything. (laughs) Too bad. Right. (laughs) God knows I've tried. (laughs) Yeah. And so when we realize that that path just leads to frustration, you know, we end up realizing sooner or later that, you know, we only have one thing to work with and that's us. And so I actually now see that as like a strength, right? Because, and it is one of the thinking traps and I call that responsibility. And so my, my idea there is, you know, to take as much responsibility for everything going wrong in my life as possible, not in a sense of self-blame, but in a sense of like empowering, because if a lot of that now falls in, in my lap, well, then I can change stuff. If all the problems are out there and somebody else is doing and somebody else's fault, it's so disempowering to me because I can't change anything or anyone that, you know, it, it doesn't work at all. So I think when we take responsibility for our share of it and maybe even a bit more, we are suddenly now have something to work with. Um, but back to the idea of acceptance. So, you know, when we don't accept people and when we don't accept circumstance and we spend a lot of our time in our head arguing with that, uh, it's really a place of misery. And, you know, one concise example I'll use from a patient is uh, I had a patient come in uh, who was an old patient of mine. I hadn't seen her in a few years. And she came in and she said, I'm so depressed and I'm so anxious and I, I don't know what to do anymore. And I understand you're doing this work, emotional repatterning. You know, I haven't seen you for three years because my mother went uh, into a surgery for a very, very simple, straightforward procedure. And, you know, they wheeled her off and it was like, see you in a few hours. And there was no nothing mentioned of any real risk. And she died on the operating table, uh, you know, some error or something didn't go right. And my patient was in, in total shock. And she had spent the last three years arguing in her head about the fact that this shouldn't have happened. You know, it wasn't, you know, her mother was young and her mother shouldn't have died. And this was supposed to be a benign procedure. And this was an in and out thing. And this shouldn't have happened. This shouldn't have happened. And as a result of that whole dialogue, you know, she'd been in this state of anxiety and depression. And I said, have you cried at the loss of your mother? And she said, no, I haven't shed a tear. I mean, she was just so angry and so upset that she didn't even get to the grief. So she she couldn't even move on. And I said, well, what's the worst part of the whole experience that you feel you're stuck in? And she said, because it wasn't my mother's time. And this is, of course, where acceptance comes in. And I, and I said to her, you know, in the gentlest possible way, what if I was to say to you that it was your mother's time, that your mother should have died, that we need to accept that 
your mother died in exactly the right way, in the exactly the right time. Mm -hmm. uh, and how do we know that? Because that's what happened. Right. It's like when you argue with life, you always lose. <laughs> like, I mean, me anyway, maybe somebody else has a better formula out there for arguing with life. But when you argue with life, you don't win. Life has its own plan. Your mother had her own plan. Who are you to say it was not the right time or that she shouldn't have died or she shouldn't have died in that way? This is a lie, right? Your mother should have died. How do we know? Because she did die. And it's not the way you think it should have gone, but it's the way it was supposed to be for your mom. So can we accept, and you know, this is probably the best example I can give because it's such a radical example, right? Mm -hmm. Can we accept that your mother should have died, that it went exactly as it should have? And it wasn't to your liking and it wasn't as you would have planned it, but nobody asked you actually. Right. Yeah. And you know, the thing that you said, just the last point on this that I think is important, except doesn't mean like, you don't have to like that your mother has died. You can dislike it. You can hate it. You can grieve it. You can be sad about it, but at least that's movement while you're still in your head arguing with it. You're, you're just stuck. Right. So can we put it to rest that your mother was on exactly the right timing and it all happened exactly as it was supposed to. And now you can let go of that argument and move on to the sadness you feel at the loss of your mother, because that's something we can process and move through. And that's what we did. And that's what she did. And in fact, it's funny, I just saw her yesterday and, you know, she said, she's like a different person now. She's just, you know, of course she misses her mom, of course, but she's integrated the experience in a certain way. And she's moved through that and she's, grown as a person because her perspective has shifted. And it's amazing when you see that kind of a transformation with somebody. And I think we can all relate to this in, in one way or another, right? Or arguing with life about how things should be different. And I certainly did that when Benjamin was sick, you know, he shouldn't have gotten that and we should have been exempted from that. And how could he be, you know, so sick when he, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, that's, that's often how we do it. We, we argue with life. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent example. I mean, it's it's an extreme example in one end, but really that's where a lot of people get stuck, where like life isn't fair, this shouldn't have happened, it wasn't a person's time, it wasn't my time. Right. And like you said, then they're not able to integrate the experience and allow themselves to move forward. We just wanted to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor for today's episode, Path 11 TV. Not a fan of watching videos on your computer or laptop? Neither are we. That's why we recently launched the Path 11 TV app for your smartphone and TV. Now you can watch on your iPhone, iPad, and Android devices. Or if you prefer to wind down in your living room, you can now watch on your Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire devices. For listeners of the podcast, the easiest way to get started is by pointing your web browser to path11tv.com and starting a seven-day free trial. But be sure to use coupon code PODCAST30. Again, that's PODCAST30 to take 30% off of an annual membership for maximum savings. Once your membership is started, visit your smartphone or TV's app store and download the Path 11 TV app. Once downloaded, you can then link to your newly created account and start streaming on the go or relaxing in your living room. Visit path11tv.com for all the details. have like such great one-liners throughout your whole book. I, I love it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so what I had written down on this chapter was, you know, like you had said, accepting and liking are two different things, accept people for who they are. And then I love this, the closer I align myself with what is and not with how I think things should be, the less I suffer. You know, and I was reading that thinking, oh my gosh, how many times was I a broken record and said that in couples therapy, you know, with my clients, yeah. you know, where, I mean, that's, you see a lot, right? If you can just behave in the way that I need you to, so I could be happy, you know, right. or you could just be this person or the person that I thought I married. And we are like, like you said, we're constantly trying to mold people into a way that we would like them to make us happy. Yes. And 
I would say for all of you control freaks out there listening, the one thing you can control is yourself. Just like Lisa, you were saying, like, take responsibility for yourself. You can't take responsibility for other people and their decisions and their behaviors and what they're doing. But if you tend to use that line that, oh, I'm a control freak and I don't like change or whatever, you know, I like things under my control, start with yourself. I mean, that's where you have the most amount of power and control is within yourself to turn inward. So hundred percent. That's very well said. I, I, I completely agree. Yeah. And uh, the other thing that I have here, um, these were just some thoughts and maybe this goes into a little bit of how people can reprogram, you know, these, these older programs, like you said, you wanted to get into that too. Um, I have some notes here that the stories we tell take emotion out and just tell the facts become less attached to the story. Don't give it so much meaning. And there was the Fleetwood Mac uh, song and a car accident example that you gave. So some of these were just some of my notes that I was putting down, but um, some examples that I've seen people doing this before, and this might even be a therapy technique where you can have a client actually write out their, their trauma event. And then you have them reread it back. You give them a highlighter and then you have them highlight just the facts. And so I did this with, um, another, a friend of mine going through a weight loss program told me Uh about it. And I was like, that's, that's fantastic. I'm going to use that in my therapy, you know? Yeah. And I did that actually with somebody that was uh, really struggling with her relationship with her brother. Um, and they were, there was a sexual abuse that was involved. And so had her write a letter to the brother in a therapeutic setting, you know, not to give to the brother, but just so she could tell the story. Right. And, um, and then I said, okay, just highlight the facts. And like, there was barely anything highlighted, you know, it was all emotion, which was really helpful for the client to see how much meaning and emotion she brought to this event. But if we just kind of look at the facts, I think that that also begins to do something to the emotional attachment that we have to our traumas. Um, And I see people shift, you know, when they do that. So I wanted to have that discussion with you too, to see if that's a little bit of also what you're doing with your clients with this emotional repatterning. Right. So, you know, that is actually a chapter in and of itself. I call it stories. So it's Mm -hmm. another thinking trap. And what is the trap exactly? Well, there are the facts. And then there's what we tell ourselves about the facts. Right. And I think humans are storytellers by nature. So, you know, we have our interpretations of what happened. And You know, ironically, we seem to always tell ourselves the worst possible story about the facts. And this is the version that we carry with us. And it's a version that makes us miserable and upset and victimized and many other negative things. So what I do is I challenge people to telling a different story about the same facts and maybe a story where we're better, where we're heroes, where we survived a miserable thing and we emerged stronger and better and more knowledgeable. You know, instead of taking away the story we've been telling ourselves, can we do an upgrade on the story where we're just like a rock star having gone through something and come out, you know, stronger and unscathed? You know, I, I use a little analogy in the book. Maybe you enjoyed it, but for me, it's so, it's perfect. You know, it's like, I say, well, it's like, you know, getting dressed every morning, you know, you go to your closet, you open the door and you have a lot of shirts hanging on on the rack there. And then, you know, there's one shirt that, you know, is old and, and stained and doesn't fit very well. And the color is not a good color for you. And you really don't like it very much. And then there's another shirt hanging there, which is, you know, you just bought, you got it on sale, even better. <laughs> Perfect color, newest style. You look like a million bucks in it and you feel great in it you know, which shirt are you going to wear? You know, are you going to pull out the better one where you feel great? Or are you going to put on the one where you feel terrible? It's a choice you make every day. And, you know, you also have a choice of how you're going to tell the story about the facts of what happened in your life. Why would you pick the bad one? I mean, does it make any sense? And, you know, this can be an aha moment for people because they don't even realize they have a choice, you know, that they can pick a better shirt. They can pick a better interpretation of the story and actually have it work for them rather than have it be the evidence of their victimhood. 
Yeah. So the example that you gave was um, a gentleman, I believe, was in a car accident. And yes. the song that was playing during the car accident was a Fleetwood Mac song. Right. And, you know, he sounded like, or as I was reading it, that he had a very visceral reaction. Every time that song would come on, it would remind him of the accident. He would need to turn it off. Now that sounds very typical, like a post-traumatic stress. You know, right. it's like we have this trigger. It could be a sound, a song, a smell, you know, whatever the case may be. And, you know, just needed to turn it off. And, um, and then the reframe was, well, what if you looked at the song as like your survival song, right? Cause you lived and it no longer reminds you necessarily of that accident, but of the fact that you survived. Right. And so, you know, isn't that like a complete turnaround equally true, right? Yes. I mean, it was a, you know, a horrific car accident by all means, as he told me the story, he should not have survived it. Some huge truck went over through the guardrail and, you know, hit him, sidelined him, the car went upside down, uh, whatever. It was like not a good story. Right. And yeah, I mean, it's like more the story is like, wow, you're here and you're okay, right? But, you know, why do we do that as humans? We take the worst possible interpretation of something and then that's, you know, our theme song. It's like, whoa, can we do that differently? And what kind of a difference would that make? I think a big one. Yeah. And, you know, it's just funny that this came up because I'm guilty of this. So this was just a couple of days ago before, um, you know, reading the book, Actually, I think it was last week, but um, I was in a store and this song came on that would play all the time when I was 15 years old. And there was a traumatic story, you know, related to that time in my life. And that song reminded me of this person, of the event. And right. to this day, every time I hear it, and I heard it last week, I was like, oh, here's the song again, you know, and I was out shopping and it was like, okay, I know it's there in the background, but I've always associated it just with this moment. Like, Right. Did my own therapy around it. The PTSD is, is gone, but it's just like, eh. it's like, yeah. oh, I hate this song. Right. Yeah. So after I read that, I was like, okay, let me think about the lyrics to this song. It's a Brian Adams song. I think it was in a movie like Robin hood, everything I do, I do it for you. I don't oh, know if yeah. it's the title, you know, that song. Right. And it just would always make me cringe. Um, so then as I was like running through the lyrics, I was like, yeah, I'm going to make this my survivor song, you know? And then really, if you adapt those lyrics to it and apply it to, you know, everything I do, I do it for you and take that power back. It's very powerful. So like, thank you. You totally gifted me um, with a totally <laughs> different way to look at this annoying song that I could not stand that always plays in weird places like dentist offices. Right, <laughs> you exactly. Know, malls, and I'm like, oh, sneaking up on you from behind. Yeah. But you know, and, and it can be as simple as that, right? The reframe. I think sometimes, gosh, we just make our healing so intense and it has to be so deep and it has to be so tricky, you know, to like figure it out. It's like, no, just like kind of reframe it here. Yeah. Good. You know, and I, I, you know, hearing you talk about it, and of course it's the things I say as well, it, it's, it always strikes me how these, these ideas that I'm presenting in the book and that, you know, we're discussing, are really so simple. And, and, and it, I always go back to how come nobody ever told us this? You know, like, <laughs> I don't know who I'm expecting should have told us this. Obviously the people who raised us doesn't know, didn't know any of this stuff themselves. So how are they going to impart that to us? But I mean, could you imagine a world where we had been raised with certain of these, I think very simple, basic ideas that, you know, we need to love ourselves, that we need to accept and not argue with life. And then, you know, from that point, see within the acceptance, how we can navigate better, you know, that we can decide how to tell ourselves the stories of what happened, that it's not just a one size fits all interpretation, that we have a choice in that. I mean, these things are like, you know, aha moments, but when we think about them, they're actually pretty basic, straightforward, like common sense almost now that they're suggested to us, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And I hope that, you know, our listeners and our watchers who are watching this on Path 11 TV, um, get some relief in knowing like this can be, this can be easy. This can be simple that you don't have yes. to be trapped, you know, by your past. So let's talk a little bit about, um, the technique and cross brain techniques. So this is stuff that I love. I love to do, um, you know, brain, brain gym is what some of it was called. Um, yeah. I learned some of these cross brain techniques by following the teachings of Donna Eden, uh, energy yes. medicine. She's got a five minute energy routine, but can you describe a little bit or explain to our listeners? Some sort of listeners are like, okay, yeah, this is great, but how do you do it? Right. right. Everybody wants to 
jump to the end. How do you do it? Right. So how are we able to use and what are the cross brain techniques to begin to reprogram uh, some of this unconscious subconscious uh, beliefs that we have? Right. So that's perfect. You know, I wrote the book to try to, to try to expose all of these areas where we get stuck, but then like you said, and now what, right? So, you know, we, we understand, yes, I do that. Yes, I did that, but we want change. And, you know, the, just working with the conscious mind and having, you know, a, a determination or a goal often is not enough. So going into the subconscious mind, we really want to deeply identify what beliefs do we have there that aren't working for us and do an upgrade and replace those beliefs with things that serve us better in, you know, real time. And so, you know, I myself was first exposed to this concept uh, back in 2013 when I took a class in Brain Gym, which you referenced, so maybe you've heard of it because not everybody knows about it. And since then, I've taken maybe four or five other different courses in, you know, this type of thing. And what I do in my practice and what I've written about in the book is an amalgamation of many of these things. But, you know, in the 1980s, um, Paul Dennison, who's the founder of Brain Gym, was working with children who had trouble learning. And in that work, he came across this idea that when you engage both hemispheres of the brain at the same time, the brain is in a state of alertness and it has an ability to do deep learning. And so that idea has been taken by many and, you know, played out. And so as well in this book, we use that and a mix of other things to put the brain in a state of learning. And when we have the brain in that state, and it's super easy to do, and it's very well described in the book, you know, step by step, it's almost too simple, right? You almost say, oh, it should be more complicated than that. (laughs) Um, And then we teach ourselves the new belief that we would like to replace some of the old and negative beliefs. We simply just wire in, in a deep way, which is essentially in our subconscious mind, Uh, an upgraded belief system. For example, I love myself. I have infinite worth and value. I have a right to exist and take my place. I am enough. I trust myself. I set good boundaries. I believe in myself. You know, those are kind of core beliefs. And then, you know, of course, we sprinkle in other things based on what the specifics are that people are, you know, wrestling with. But it's essentially a process of identifying beliefs that don't serve us, then rewiring or reteaching ourselves a better belief, and then going back at the end to test and see that that actually has happened, right? So it's not, you know, there is a little bit of a concrete aspect to it that we can see that we've actually done it. And whether you do that with a practitioner or whether you do that on your own, I mean, people that I've worked with have noticed incredible and profound changes in a very short period of time because when you're working on healing your own wounds and and upgrading your own self well of course it's got to show up better on the outside in every other way right because it's never about them or it or the outside things it's always about us and I love that, you know, because then I'm like, wow, then I can do something. And if I can put in certain beliefs that are going to serve me and work for me rather than work against me, well, then everything's going to get better when I show up better. And especially that I accept that I can't change anyone else. So I've got to, you know, work on me and then make decisions from there. Yeah. Perfect. So you also talked about testing this, right? So like you do some of these techniques and then you test. So I was thinking of you because I was like, oh, how is she doing muscle testing during COVID times? But then of course you gave the examples of the self muscle testing and also people can get their yes and no. I teach this usually, um, you know, with some of my energy students and, you know, Reiki students about how they can be their own pendulum, you know, show me my yes, show me my no, right. which, which way your body sways after you ask that question. But you also had a good one. I'll demonstrate it. Maybe you can demonstrate it too. It's where you put the hands kind of over the sternum. Right. So I'm going to move my microphone here. Perfect. And then you lift your pointer finger and you ask your body a question. Now, it's my understanding when I learned some of this is that the body cannot hold a lie. Mm-hmm. So, um, if I were to say my name is April and then I'm 
doing some muscle testing here, pushing down on my pointer finger that if my name truly is April Hannah and I'm resisting it a little bit, my finger will be very strong and I can't right. push it down. Now, if I were to say my name is Lisa Samet and I begin to push and I try to resist my finger, I can't, I can't do that. You can't resist it. Your can't finger gets it. weak. Yeah. And when I first learned this, I had a teenage cousin and I was like, let me muscle test. I want you to say, I don't, uh, I don't smoke pot. <laughs> we were trying to see if he was smoking pot as a teenager. And I was like, cause your body's going to tell me. I totally right. kept him. I shouldn't have done that. Didn't know the ethics really back yeah, then. Yeah. That, that comes know. with time. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was really, you know, it's really fascinating. So, um, so one of the techniques that maybe we can give the clients that you have, um, in your book, the way that I read it is that, um, you kind of, you take your palms and I think you're crossing them over like this. Yes. Where your fingers are interlaced. Right. Do you, you then turn, you turn them inward right. and then you also have your ankles crossed. That's right. right? And that comes directly from brain gym. And yeah. you know, why does that work? Because yeah. when your right and left sides are crossed, you're automatically engaging both hemispheres of your brain. So you're activating and engaging both hemispheres in your brain. You know, another way to do this is to stand up and kind of march and then tap your opposite knee as you're marching because again you're involving both hemispheres of your brain and what they've shown is when you engage both hemispheres of your brain your brain is in a state of deep learning and that's where you can teach yourself a new belief right and the muscle testing comes in handy because then we can check at the beginning to see if we believe a statement or not. And then after we do the exercise, go back and check again and see if we've inserted a new and better belief for ourselves. You know, I think you did a great job of explaining the muscle testing. It looks very easy when you do it. For me, I always like to use the analogy that it's, it's very similar to a lie detector test, right? Our body has its right. own built-in kind of lie detector test, right? And so when I lie about something, there's a physiological change because the body is, you know, we are not built to lie, right? To lie, when we lie, it's stressful. Mm -hmm. And so the stress in this example of using your finger, you know, makes you weak. Or the stress, if you're on a lie detector test, causes your heart to flutter, and then, you know, the graph is going to kind of go wild. When you tell the truth about something, when you believe something to be true, you know, you're strong and you're solid and you're good. So, you know, it does work, you know, and it is it's very easy to learn. I tried in the book to be very detailed and step-by-step -step so it's approachable and, you know, not intimidating. But if somebody would have, you know, determined to do it, they're going to make a big change for themselves. Yeah. I'm also wondering too, like say for all of us who are working on self-love, right? Yes. So maybe I've gotten to a good point of, I love and accept myself, right? right. So I, I do, and I do the muscle test and it feels, feels okay. But right. then if I were to kind of get my legs crossed and cross my arms, and then I, would I just keep saying, I love and accept With myself? With your eyes closed, you would okay, keep saying it over and over and over, over again. again. And at a certain point, it would kind of feel settled. Like it would just, you'd feel like the nickel drop feeling, yeah. right? Like, like something feels true about that. Yeah. And then I would assume if I went back to muscle test, I might even have a stronger muscle. That would like, be the goal. Right. So it could be something that we're working on that maybe just needs to be strengthened. Um, yes. Or it could also be, like you said, with going into the real good stuff, you know, of like, I don't believe I'm worthy of self-love and then, right. you know, or worthy of love or worthy of existence, um, you know, and then you kind of will say that over and over again until you feel something kind of drop in and then you can retest your muscle. So Exactly. And it's really that simple. Yeah, it is. So that's, it. that's a good, you know, kind of, we can do a lot, you know, we can do so much for ourselves. I think we're not in the habit of looking at things that way because we think, okay, if I'm messed up or if I'm having problems, I need to get to go on anti-anxiety anti medication, antidepressants, go see a therapist. Like we, we, we put the responsibility for fixing that out there because we just don't know. We've not been told. It's not occurred to us that we are, there are tools and techniques that we can do and really move the ball forward greatly. Yes. Well, I loved your book. I love practical books. <laughs> not that not all books are practical, but just, you know, some people have a knack like you do of kind of writing it, giving good examples, breaking it up into these sections. Here's what you can do. 
bam, it's done. You know, it's just, it's kind of like an instruction manual. And I personally like those types of books because I feel like I can highlight a lot. Okay. I have this section. Now I can do the exercises. So it's like, it's an all in one package that you're getting from Lisa guys. So um, (laughs) why don't you let our listeners know where they can purchase the book? And uh, yeah, so I have a picture. I have a copy of it right here. I don't even know if you have a hard copy. It's emotional repatterning, healing emotional pain by rewiring the brain. And you can find it everywhere. It's, you know, on uh, all the major booksellers, hopefully in your bookstore. Uh, so it should be easy to get. It's not expensive. It's short. It's straightforward. It's readable, I think. And I hope it makes a difference if you do decide to purchase it, that you find that you can get some benefit out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And do you give uh, one-on-one consults online? I mean, our, I do. our following, they just really, they, they contact all of my guests. I mean, I can't tell you how many people and how many guests have said, oh, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I had somebody reach out to me. So oh, that's um, great. Yeah. And I think COVID has really allowed, you know, people who maybe weren't doing online business, you know, and consultations through Zoom that now we're all really comfortable with that. My, yeah. my business has expanded that way too. I'm like working with somebody now in Brazil um, you know, California, Maryland, all that stuff where I was just kind of working within my own County. So it's, I love it. It's great. But yes. where can people, um, find you more about, you know, like, the uh, well, health? in terms of the book, it's emotional repatterning.ca and that's the book title. And, uh, my, my own website, which is more comprehensive is lisasamet.com S A M E T. Uh, and you know, I, I'm a naturopathic doctor. I do homeopathy and, you know, in more recent years, spending a lot of time doing a lot of emotional repatterning work with, with, uh, patients, which we know, as you said, we can all do online and <laughs> we've gotten comfortable with. So yeah, well, thank you for that. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm very engaged and I totally love my work because it's really, really exciting to help people move the ball forward and, you know, become their best selves. Excellent. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. You were a wonderful guest. Thank I you, learned April. a lot. I'm I, glad. I, I finally healed that damn Brian Adams song. So. <laughs> I'm very happy to hear it. <laughs> thank you. All right, Lisa. Well, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for watching at PAP 11 TV and listening wherever you get your podcasts. Take care, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 TV. Visit path11tv.com to start a seven-day free trial and start streaming over 100 hours of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com and be sure to use coupon code podcast30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path 11 TV today. Bye for now.